Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to the Across the Sky podcast, our Lee Enterprises weather podcast that we drop for you every Monday, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. As we do every week, we are talking about all things weather, climate, and beyond here. And today, we have a Hurricane Hunters edition as we wrap up the hurricane season. Um, but first, we're going to toss it over to our team. We got Sean Sublett over at the Richmond Times-Dispatch in Virginia. Matt Hollander's out in Chicagoland in the Midwest. Kirsten Lane could not be here today. Unfortunately, last minute appointment couldn't make it, but we'll hope to have her again for the next episode. Guys, we are recording this on November 17th, and it is cold for all three of us today. Cold for you, Sean. Cold for you, Matt. It's cold for me. Matt, we'll start with you because you know, you're in Chicago, and from what I hear, winter comes pretty quick in Chicago. You know, not last year. Last year was the, the latest first snow on record in Chicago. It didn't happen until I believe it was the very end of December or very beginning of January. I think it was the very end of December, but it was the latest first snow ever. Uh, well, we've already had snow in November now, so we're not going <laughs> to... That record is not in jeopardy, and it's getting even colder for the weekend. It's already cold, and it's just getting even colder. The snow is going away, but then it's just cold air, which I don't know. I, I feel like that's the worst when it's just cold you don't even have any snow. And a lot of the snow was falling when it was, a lot of it was melting. So it's not sticking around. And so then it's just cold. And again, in January, okay. But in November, come on. <laughs> Fortunately, I think we'll, we'll, there's a warming trend in time for Thanksgiving. So it's it's not the end yet, but not where we want to be. Yeah, it looks like Thanksgiving is going to be warm for a good portion of the country here. Um, and that will include my friend Sean over here down in Richmond. Sean? A little chilly for you guys over there and a little bit of snow in some parts of Virginia, right? Earlier, uh, what's going to be last week by the time everyone's listening to that. Yeah, and the uh, the much higher elevations, that's where we saw some uh, earlier on. But yeah, this is really the first prolonged cold spell. We had a little cool spell back in October, but now we've had a legit freeze. Not looking for any significant snow here in, in immediate central Virginia. But, you know, we're going to be a good 10, 15 degrees below normal through this weekend. Obviously, first of next week, as you alluded to, we'll warm up a little bit getting into Thanksgiving. And then there's this, you know, this storm system that looks like it's nobody knows how it's going to coagulate yet sometime Friday, Saturday after Thanksgiving. But it's one of those things you look at the guidance and you're like, there is a disturbance in the force. We're not sure exactly what's going to happen yet, but there are a lot of things coming together that say things are going to be complicated on Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. There might be a couple of uh, S words floating out there too over uh, next week as we go into Thanksgiving, depending on where you are. Anyway, speaking of cold weather, how about places where it's not cold, like St. Petersburg, Florida. We have our guest here, Nick Underwood. We are very happy to have him on. He is hanging out in Florida. He is the Programs and Integrations Engineer, also known as PI, 
for the NOAA Aircraft Operations Center. Um, you might know him from Twitter as well. Something of a Twitter celebrity. So we're uh, happy to have you on, Nick. I see right now it's in like the 60s when we're recording this for you. So I guess a little chilly for uh, uh, St. Petersburg, Tampa area. It's uh, beautiful weather outside, though. You know, it's like I'm going to go for a run later today. It's I'm not going to get crazy overheated. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I'm very happy for you, Nick. We should say congratulations. We uh, we know that you just got recently a promotion in the past couple of weeks here over at NOAA. Uh, you're an engaged man as well. So uh, 30's been treating you pretty nicely, huh? It's uh, It's been a good age so far. Uh, we'll see how it continues. <laughs> there you go. Well, welcome to the uh, 30s club. So, you know, there's so much to talk about with Hurricane Hunters um, and, and your role exactly here. But first, you know, I want to start out with this. You know, you're you're an engineer. You're actually not, a, you didn't get a meteorology degree. You got an engineering degree from West Virginia University. In many ways, I feel like meteorology and engineering are the same Atmosphere is a fluid, fluid dynamics, thermodynamics, all that stuff that some people are probably wondering, what is this? But it's all kind of engineering stuff that both meteorologists have to take as well as engineers. But, you know, what was your interest in weather like growing up? You know, studied aerospace engineering. And the thing is that growing up, you know, weather was around. I remember like sitting and watching thunderstorms with my grandparents, like on their uh, front porch and stuff. But I never was really like fascinated in it. And you know, I've been working for the hurricane hunters for the last six years, but seven years ago, I didn't even know that hurricane hunting was a thing. <laughs> so I've sort of stumbled into this career, but it's been uh, so incredible. And I get to work with such fantastic people and do uh, such exciting and important work. Um, and I'm just, I'm really happy to be into it now. Well, I can go next. What kind of led you into this direction? You said you kind of fell into it or kind of wandered into this direction. And as, because as Joe mentioned, there's a lot of electrical engineering that has to be done. I think about the LTEX at the Weather Service. I think about the radars that have to be calibrated, built, maintained, all those types of things as well. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, about the path that you had getting to where you are now. Yeah. So my first job out of college, I worked for Naval Air Systems Command uh, in Southern Maryland at Patuxent River Naval Air Station. And I was a flight test engineer for a little over a year working with F-18s and F-35s and other fighter jets. And I really wanted to get more into a science-focused thing with my degree. And so I applied at NASA. I applied at NOAA. I I, I'm a civil servant. I love being a civil servant. I always want to be a civil servant. Got offered a position at both those organizations uh, and chose the NOAA route just because flying into hurricanes seems like a pretty interesting and uh, unique thing that I really wouldn't get the opportunity to do otherwise. And uh, my long-term career goals are to be an astronaut at some point. Uh, and so my thinking, my thought process was being in a hurricane on an airplane is a pretty good way to not sit behind a desk. And uh, that was the, the advice I got from an astronaut. And so I pursued it because it seemed like it'd be the, uh, the more exciting thing. Well, that's pretty good. I think already being a, a hurricane hunter, that's that's pretty exciting. <laughs> I think, you know, most people will be pretty satisfied with that. But you're going to the next level going going for being an astronaut. But I've got to ask you, before, you know, we, we had a, a former hurricane hunter on one of our previous episodes and loved hearing his stories. But I'd like to know from you, what is your most memorable moment 
as a hurricane hunter? Like what stands out to you? I'm sure there are multiple ones, but what is the one like if there's a story that you if you only could tell one story, what would your story be about hurricane hunting? You know, I think yeah, I've got to go with the most recent one, which was Hurricane Ian. And I was only on uh, flights into Ian for two flights uh, because I was uh, helping project manage a uh, drone that we were deploying from the aircraft. But our second flight through Ian, when it was rapidly intensifying into a Category 4 hurricane, we were flying at night. It was the most intense and most sustained turbulence that I've experienced in my six years of doing this. Uh, there was more lightning than I've ever seen inside of a hurricane before. Taking photos and videos out the window, even though it was dark outside, the amount of lightning that there was around us, it made it look like it was daytime. That was certainly a, an experience that I won't forget anytime soon. You know, I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I think you said on Twitter, uh, you said it was the roughest flight of your career. You said there was coffee everywhere, in quotes. So how do you guys do coffee in a, a plane like that? Could you explain that process for us? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we've got a galley in the back of the aircraft. And typically it's about 90 minutes to two hours for us to transit from wherever we're operating out of to actually get to the storm. And so uh, we'll brew coffee in the back. We've got the coffee pot and it is the most strapped down coffee pot you've ever seen. Uh, so we've got uh, custom brackets on it to keep it in place. But uh, the hits that we were taking in Ian were so intense that the top actually was able to come up and coffee got out and splashed all over the place. We had to clean that up once we got out of the storm and was able to uh, take a breather for a minute. I can't imagine that's the uh, most pleasant thing to do after you were just bouncing around in a uh, <laughs> metal tube for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how long is the, uh, is the total flight obviously depends on where you're flying into, but with, with Ian, in this case, it, it's pretty close to where your base was. So, from from the time liftoff, the time touchdown, how long were you gone with a couple of these passes with Ian? So a typical flight for us is about eight hours in length. And so we'll have the couple hours of transit, and then we try to spend four to five hours on station in the storm, flying through, collecting data, and then we'll fly back. The Ian flights, the two I was on, the first one we took off out of Lakeland, Florida, flew to the storm, did three passes, I think, and then flew all the way over to Houston, Texas. Uh, and landed there. And then the next night, took off from Houston, flew over to the storm, did one pass, was able to launch the drone that we were carrying, flew around with that for a few hours, and then flew back to Houston because Ian was trucking its way through Florida. And so we don't, we didn't want to have our aircraft anywhere near uh, where that storm was going uh, on the ground. So, you know, you're, uh, I know sometimes people do actually get confused because there's actually two different kinds of aircraft that go into hurricanes, right? So we have the Hurricane Hunters and then the Air Force Reserve's uh, 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. Could you talk about, you know, I guess everything about the differences? You know, how do they start? What the differences are? How do you, you know, what are they collecting different kinds of information? Um, you know, it, it's always uh, fascinating that we have two separate entities that are actually doing this. Yeah, so... Uh, the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, they're based out of Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, I think they have 10 T-130s, and they do uh, hurricane reconnaissance missions. So they can fly into storms, uh, launch drops on, and collect flight-level data uh, that way. The NOAA Hurricane Hunters, which is the uh, organization that I work for, we've got our 2P3 Orions, which can do uh, pretty much the same mission that the T-130s can. We also have uh, some pretty fancy radars on board uh, that give 
forecasters and folks at the Hurricane Research Division, uh, even more data sets to look through. Uh, we also have a lot of extra scientific instruments that uh, we carry for different folks, like from NESDIS, the Satellite uh, Information Service. And we also have our high-altitude hurricane surveillance jet, uh, so Gonzo. Uh, so that aircraft is flying up above, around, and in front of the storms, uh, collecting that high-altitude uh, data that really ends up steering where these storms go. And so the combination of the high-altitude uh, Gulfstream jet with our P3 Orions uh, making their way through the storm, you really get a full picture of not just the environment inside the storm, but the environment that is outside of it and sort of feeding into it and pushing it around as well. Can, can I just follow up on that radar? You said you have some pretty high-tech radar on there. Could you get in the weeds a little bit about what it's doing and what makes it different from the weather radar that people will get on their phones or on their computers? Really, the goal of hurricane hunting aircraft is being able to go out over the ocean and take those same kind of instruments that we have on land, being able to launch weather balloons, ground-based radars, and getting those out to the storm so we can still gather that data before it gets close to land. Something that uh, our aircraft have that is pretty unique is what we call our tail Doppler radar, which has two dishes that spin around and it takes radar slices from the sea surface all the way up to the cloud top. And so as you're flying through the storm, you get this sort of MRI of the structure of the storm and how it's coming together. And the forecasters really uh, like getting that data and so we will most of the time get tasked just to do TDR missions to fly through the storm and gather that radar data. Wow. Well, and Nick, are you also flying into different parts of the storm from the 53rd uh, Weather Reconnaissance Squadron? Since the planes can can do uh, basically the same mission, how does the, the flight plans vary? Is it flying to different parts of the storm? Is it collecting different kinds of data? Uh, a little bit more on the on the two different these two different entities that are, you know, in the same mission, but what are the, the differences between the two? Yeah, so for the most part, the mission is pretty much the same. Uh, and we'll fly very similar flight tracks uh, with our 53rd friends. Uh, the big focus for us is that we try to deconflict and not fly in the same parts of the storm at the same time, uh, because that adds extra risk. But we're flying through launching drop zones. The 53rd is doing the same thing. Uh, we'll typically fly what are called figure four patterns, where we'll fly like a west to east leg, get to the other side of the storm, make a turn, fly a north to south leg, get back out, make a turn, and then fly a diagonal leg through the storm. Really, the goal is to sample all four quadrants of that storm and gather data at each point. Um, because the more data we get, the more there is to feed into the forecast models, which are going to impact where that storm prediction is going to be and how strong it's going to be when it gets there. Hey, Nick, real quick before we toss it back to Joe, how many different vertical flight levels are you doing? If you do these figure four patterns, I'm assuming they're at the same flight level or you know altitude above the, the surface. How many different vertical slices are, are you doing? I mean, you're going up at 10,000, 15, 20. How many of these, of these you know, vertical passes are you doing? So typically uh, the 53rd will fly through at 10,000 feet and RP3s will fly at 8,000 feet and we'll stay at that altitude the whole time. And so we really get the vertical profiles from the drop zones um, that we're launching all throughout the storm. And we'll launch those typically an endpoint as we start our leg into the storm, a midpoint, we'll launch a couple of songs in the eye wall to get that radius of maximum winds. And then we'll drop one in the center uh, to get that center fixed and then do the same pattern on the way back out. 
Awesome. Well, we're going to take a uh, break here. Lots of good stuff so far. An action-packed first half of our uh, Across the Sky podcast. We'll come back to you on the other side. We'll talk more to Nick Under. Looking beyond the atmosphere, here's Tony Rice with your Astronomy Outlook. A bolt light over southern Ontario was seen Saturday, November 19th, all the way down to the Mason-Dixon line. This space rock entering the atmosphere, it had a name, Asteroid 2022 WJ1. This name was posthumously given by the Minor Planet Center, because it was discovered just hours before. At somewhere around 2-3 to feet wide, it's among the smallest near-Earth objects ever found. 2022 WJ1 was discovered by David Rankin during routine observations for the Mount Lemmon survey, and it prompted an imminent impact notice predicting entry over the Great Lakes. This is the seventh asteroid we've ever detected before it impacted Earth. The last was in March over the Arctic Ocean and was observed from northern Iceland, but mostly from infrasound monitoring from Greenland and Norway. Saturday's event, though, it's generating some excitement because it happened just north of Niagara Falls and was observed fragmenting. Some of those fragments, they were even seen on weather radar. NASA's Astromaterials Research and Exploration Science Group has a Meteorite Falls page detailing where surviving chunks, ranging from a gram to greater than 10 kilograms, might be found. The light stuff likely landed on shore near the town of Gransby, Ontario, which I'm sure already has some new visitors. The heavier stuff, unfortunately, that's expected to be at the bottom of Lake Ontario. Elsewhere in the sky, look for a right triangle formed by Jupiter and the bright stars Formalhaut and Altair. Along the leg between those stars, look for Saturn as well. That's your Astronomy Outlook. Follow me at RTP Hokey for more spacey stuff like this. Welcome back, everybody, to the Across the Sky podcast. Meteorologist Joe Martucci here at the Press of Atlantic City. Join with me is our Lee Enterprises weather family, minus Kirsten. She'll be back with us soon. Um, but we do have Nick Underwood, Program and Integrations Engineer for NOAA Aircraft Operations Center. Nick, you were saying very cleverly that you had it named Pi, uh, like the mathematical Pi. And then uh, also your airport code down in St. Petersburg is PIE. So you really were just going uh, full circle there, weren't you? Well, when you're given the opportunity to name your position, uh, you've really got to try to be creative with it. So I understand. That's a full advantage. Right. It's like when members of Congress name things and they have that big acronym and it all makes sense at the end. It's oh, like, yeah. It's like the same thing. All right. So we're talking about hurricane hunting um, here. And uh, I believe you call hurricane hunting uh, hurricane pennies. Is that true? Uh, yeah. So anytime we fly into a hurricane and then back out the other side, we consider that a penetration. Into gotcha. The storm. So the pennies. So how many pennies have you been on? So I am currently sitting at 76 pennies so that 76 is spread across i think 23 different hurricanes so you get you know more than a handful on each one the most i ever got on a single flight was into hurricane florence in 2018 uh we got nine pennies on one flight so that was one of the more memorable flights for me is is that like uh something you guys like kind of keep a running tab of you know all, all your coworkers? we do keep a running tab um and you get patches at different milestones. Uh, so I am working towards my 100 penny patch. Uh, we've got some researchers who fly with us who recently hit their 500 penny patch, I think. So they've okay. been, uh, they've seen a lot. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, they certainly have. They certainly have. So now that uh, the season is winding down, of course, hurricane season ends technically at the end of November. What kind of things do you get involved with during the off season there? Yeah. So uh, the NOAA Aircraft Operations Center, most people know us as the hurricane hunters, but we do so many more things than just hurricanes. And so uh, right now we're starting to put our heavy aircraft, our P3s, our G4 into maintenance cycles uh, where they'll get ready to go fly our off-season projects. So I think in a couple of weeks, uh, Gonzo is going to be heading out to Hawaii to support atmospheric river research in the Pacific. Miss Piggy, one of our P3s, is going to be going to uh, Anchorage, Alaska in February to support a project called Ocean Winds Winter, uh, where they fly these um, North Atlantic and North Pacific systems that can sometimes get up to hurricane force winds at the surface. Uh, we primarily fly that mission to help calibrate uh, satellite instruments. And so we will underfly a satellite and then get data from both instruments and the scientists can go back and uh, put those calibration coefficients in. And our light aircraft are flying constantly year round doing marine mammal surveys, coastal mapping missions. Uh, and my job as the programs and integration engineer is to help all of these scientists who come to us and want to fly their different projects, figure out how to get their instrumentation onto our aircraft so we can go fly it safely. And since we are wrapping up uh, hurricane season here, it's not technically over yet, but uh, <laughs> no signs of anything brewing at the moment. And just for those who are, are keeping account of, of the numbers, what we're at right now is 14 named storms, eight hurricanes, and two major hurricanes. And so when you look at what's average, average is 14 named storms, seven hurricanes, three major hurricanes. So this is very close to an average season. We have the exact right number of named storms. We're actually one ahead for hurricanes and one behind for the number of major hurricanes. Of course, lots of the forecasts are calling for an above normal season. It looks like we're going to wind up with a normal one here. But uh, Nick, what's your big takeaway from this season? What kind of stands out to you? If they're, I mean, obviously Hurricane Ian was a, the big storm that got a lot of buzz. But in general, just looking at the season as a whole, uh, what stands out to you from the season? So every hurricane season is different. And the important thing is that folks who live on the coast, folks who live in areas that can be impacted by storms, always treat each season the same way and prepare adequately. Make sure you have your hurricane plans in place. Uh, make sure you're always paying attention to local officials and evacuation orders when storms are headed your way. Uh, this season was pretty quiet for a long time up until we started getting storms like Fiona and Ian, uh, and they, those storms tend to spin up pretty quickly. And so it's always good to stay on your toes. We are always on our toes from June 1st to November 30th. Uh, we've got a watch bill of uh, crews that whenever a storm spins up, they get put on notice. They're going to go and start flying missions. But yeah, just never get complacent with hurricane season. You know, anything can pop up just like that. So. Hey, Nick, you mentioned earlier about drones. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about how, I mean, we understand conceptually why drones are important. They can go in places that you might not want to have people go into. But can you talk about how that has progressed? Um, obviously, you're getting good information out of that. But but how has the progression of drones in hurricane hunting unfolded over these past five or 10 years, or has it even been that long? Yeah. So especially over the last few years, our office has been doing a lot of testing 
um, and a lot of evaluation for small UAS systems that we can launch from the P3 aircraft. Um, I've been uh, helping out with those test efforts. Uh, first, we do safe separation tests to make sure that we can actually get the drone out of the aircraft and safely away from us. Uh, we then have done developmental tests of, okay, let's launch the drone, and then can we fly around safely with it? Can we still receive communication and data from it? Uh, and Ian, uh, Hurricane Ian was a big milestone for us because we got into the eye of the storm, were able to orbit inside, launch a drone, and then it descended down to uh, like 4,000 feet, uh, started gathering data on the center. It made its way into the eye wall and it flew around for about two and a half hours, uh, collecting all of this data at much lower altitudes than we can safely go. And so a lot of work has been going into this over the last few years. A lot of work is going to continue to go into using drones for hurricane hunting as we uh, test out and uh, deploy new systems. Um, but it's very exciting. And I think there's a, a bright future for it um, with our office. So Nick, that kind of begs the, the question, do you think we're ever gonna reach a day where we're not gonna have manned missions into hurricanes anymore? It is just gonna be drones flying into the hurricanes to take away that risk of, even though there's been, there are many safe flights the hurricane hunters do. It is actually a remarkably safe, but there's always that little bit of risk. Something can go wrong. So do you think we'll ever reach a day where it's just gonna be drones and we're not gonna have these manned missions anymore? I think the space for crewed missions is always gonna be there because the size of the P3s, the size of the C-130s, we can just carry so much instrumentation on these aircraft to go gather things, not just you know temperature, pressure, humidity, wind speed, wind direction, but also that radar data, also wind speeds at the surface, just all of this data that you can fit onto a larger platform. So you would need a pretty sizable drone to actually be able to fly in storm, take off from land, fly into a storm, and then find its way back to land. Um, so I think there's always going to be a place uh, for these aircraft and for crewed missions. Yeah, real quick, Nick, um, back to the drones for a second. Could you give people an idea, you know, some kind of size comparison? When we're thinking about a drone, how big are these drones? And are they relatively easy to, to, to get back into the aircraft as well? I imagine releasing them is easier than retrieving them. Uh, the drones we've been testing are unfortunately expendables, just like our drop stands are, as well as our ocean sensing instruments. So they are one and done. But the amount of data and the type of data they can get by being able to go into those lower altitudes, into the more dangerous parts of the storm, there's a wealth of information there uh, that um, really justifies it. The size of these drones, we're evaluating a few different platforms. The one we launched into Ian has a wingspan of about eight or nine feet. But those wings are folded uh, as we launch it from the aircraft. They only deploy uh, after it gets away from the aircraft. And it's got a small motor and a decent-sized battery as well to be able to fly around for about two and a half hours. So it's, it's really impressive, and uh, we're excited to uh, keep evaluating different systems and uh, seeing what works best for us. They say the drones are expendable. You know, um, are they still being tracked once they are getting released? You know, if they do happen to something happens and they're in the ocean, are they able to be tracked and potentially captured again? Uh, that I'm not sure on. Um, so I, I don't have an answer for that one. I thought maybe there would be a <laughs> drone recycling program maybe of some kind, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, very cool. Let's talk about kind of the future here, you know, with you guys at the aircraft operations center. Um, I know you're recruiting 
uh, and looking for some new talent um, over there down in Florida. And Florida sounds pretty nice in uh, November. Uh, tell us what's going on with that and uh, how people who are interested could uh, apply. Yeah. So the big thing is we're always looking for uh, new pilots. And if you want to be a pilot, if you actually want to go and fly uh, these hurricane hunting aircraft, you can commission as a NOAA Corps officer. Uh, you'll may end up spending some time on NOAA ships as well, because NOAA is a big organization. We do a lot of science around the world. Uh, and on the civilian side, like I am, we're also currently hiring electrical engineers. So if you've got an electrical engineering background and hurricane hunting, atmospheric science sounds interesting to you, you can apply to those positions on uh, usajobs.gov. The only thing I was thinking about going back to the drones, because I frankly, I didn't know that they were expendable. I thought there might be a few versions that were, but I thought some of them would would be um, used a couple of times anyway. But but I think about radio sons, Raven sons, how, you know, they go up and then they're just kind of whatever, they're gone, you know. But every once in a while, somebody in a farm or a rural area will, will find one of these things and, and wonder, what is this? And I just wonder if, if there's any opportunity that these things float or if they're pretty much gone and gone, I, just more of a curiosity than anything else. Yeah, I think um, especially with them flying in a hurricane environment and landing in an ocean state under a hurricane, uh, I would say just like the drop zones that we launch, once they're gone, they're they're gone. Gotcha. We all love this drone stuff. Or oh, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. No, I was going to talk about, you know, for somebody who's in college right now or about to go into college and they're thinking about wanting to be with the hurricane hunters and getting involved, what advice do you have for them about what classes they should be taking, what internships they should get if they want to pursue this as a career and somebody's about to go into college or in college right now, what should they be doing to uh, make sure they have a better chance at uh, being accepted as a hurricane hunter? So there's so many different routes that you can take. Uh, if you want to be a pilot or a navigator, you'll need to commission as an officer in the NOAA Corps. Uh, if you want to be one of our flight directors who are onboard meteorologists who are looking at the radar data uh, and safely navigating us through the storm, uh, studying meteorology in college is the way to go for that. Uh, we also have engineers of the aerospace and electrical varieties. You can go that route. We've got electronics technicians. We've got aircraft mechanics, all these people that come together to really make what we do possible. Um, and so there's a bunch of different routes. If you're going to college for it, I would say meteorology or engineering are probably your safest bet to get into this. Um, but really just pursue whatever is going to be interesting to you. Awesome. I think uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there, Nick. I mean, it, this was great. Stories, talked a lot about drones. We were talking about, about yourself. You know, I'll open it up to you for a minute or two if you want to just chat about, you know, some more information, how they can learn more about you or more about uh, hurricane hunting. Yeah, so uh, every bit of information you can find on us, you can just go to hurricanes.gov. Uh, there's a link there that will talk about uh, hurricane hunting, uh, the aviation side of the house. And the thing I always want to stress is that what we do is a civil service. So the whole point of us going up and flying into these storms, collecting this data, is so that those forecasts that the National Hurricane Center puts out can be as accurate as possible. And the more accurate they are, the better we can warn people on the ground that a storm is headed their way and they can better prepare themselves, their homes, they can evacuate uh, and take care of their neighbors. And so it's uh, it's important work and we are very uh, proud and happy to do it. And we're happy for you. Know, we're happy that you and your team's doing it. We, you know, we thank you for your service during hurricane season all throughout the year. You're a proud West Virginian. Let me ask you, uh, 
men's basketball, women's basketball for uh, West Virginia. How are we feeling this year? Looking pretty good so far. Uh, I'm excited. We've got, especially on the men's team, we've got a lot of new faces. I think we've only got a couple uh, people that are still on the team from last year. So uh, I think we play Purdue next week, and we're also in one of those early season tournaments with Duke and Gonzaga. So uh, wow. we'll see how we come out of that one. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking well, yeah, we're we'll going to... We're going to emerge from November with a, uh, a perfect record, I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> time, time will tell on that one. I didn't even know about that tournament. But, uh, but thanks again for the uh, time, Nick. We'll, we'll chat with you soon. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks again to Nick for coming on. He's a fun guy. He's a smart guy. He's an articulate guy. I've had the opportunity to interview him before, and he was, he was great. What did you guys think? Wonderful. I mean, it's nice to have somebody who is very into what he does. And it's nice to have people who are in, in the weather enterprise, as we call it, who aren't necessarily meteorologists, but still have this passion and can bring a different skill set uh, to complement what everybody does and, and getting the messages out that we need to get out to people uh, to stay safe, uh, to protect property and all of that. Well, you know, meteorology is just kind of a small field in general, you know, compared to a lot of other professions out there. There aren't that many meteorologists, but we're talking about when it comes to hurricane hunters. I mean, the ultimate niche, even within meteorology, there are very few people who can say they've gone those hurricane hunter missions. And it's always great. I love hearing the stories they have to say and getting the perspective about what that's like, because it's something that everybody is going to be like. I mean, what a conversation starter. You say, well, I'm a hurricane hunter. And then everybody in the room immediately as you're, you have their attention. They're like, really? So what can you, you know, that is the ultimate conversation star. So I mean, we could have had it gone on a long time with him asking about, you know, all the, the stuff that he's experienced. But it, so it's really great to talk with someone who, you know, most of us, would, you know, are never going to have the opportunity to do that and to hear about it and hear of someone who's had that experience. Really cool stuff. And, you know, just to tech on today, say he wants to be an astronaut, which is even more of a head turner. When people are like, well, what do you do? I'm an astronaut. That's 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 the like that might be the pinnacle of head turning. What do you think? Is that the pinnacle of head turning? Of that's, hey, what do you do uh, for my That's be, pretty I, up it's there. It's up there. I mean, they're the original, uh, they're the original storm chasers, right? I mean, except they did the storm chasing in the air. They're not yes. on the ground. That's right. So, uh, they are different kind of storm tracing altogether. That's right. That's right. Well, good episode with Nick. Hopefully we'll have him on again soon. He's a good guy. Um, and we're glad to have him. So that is it for this episode. Uh, next week, we will have our top 10 weather songs of all times. That is in conjunction with Terry Lipsheets, who's over at Lee Enterprises. He's one of our digital producers, a big music guy, and he'll elaborate when we get into our podcast next Monday. We've got our top 10 and we even have one that you guys are going to vote for as well. So be on the lookout for that. But until then, everybody, take care. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Cross the Sky Podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.